From the sound of that rain, I think I'll just preach a long time. <laughs> because you sure don't want to go out there, so we might as well just have fun here. And all of you visiting for BBS, it's like, oh my gosh, does he mean that? No, no. Um, <clears throat> I have here a trophy. It's a, what, I'm old enough that when I was growing up, if you got a trophy, it meant you were probably in first, second, or third place. I had one trophy I was very proud of. It was first place in a tennis tournament in eighth grade. It was a city tournament in my little town. I won because I was the only one who showed up. <clears throat> I want to tell you it's the only tennis tournament trophy I ever won. But this is not a trophy like that. Because we don't live in the 60s. This is called a participation trophy. And those of you who are parents today know what that's all about. Because we now live in a culture that says we need to give everybody a trophy for participating. Because if we didn't do that, we wouldn't be encouraging everyone. And everybody wouldn't be a winner, and we want them all to know that they're all winners. And so as they come off the field, we say, good game. Way to play. I struggle with that. <clears throat> I have to confess to you, and I realize I've been nervous about this sermon because I'm going to step on some toes here. But I just really struggle when, especially when you're, you know, sort of the t-ball age. I, I can still remember my son, who was, I think, on third base. And I looked out at one point in a game, and he was literally sitting in the dirt, building a little fort or a road with his finger while he's playing. Um, the, the problem I struggle with is when we believe that we should only be giving kids encouragement today, so when they come off the field after they weren't paying attention or they played terribly, and everybody lines up and says, good game. And I'm there saying, well, no, it wasn't. It was terrible. They, they weren't even paying attention. Good effort, maybe, if there was effort at all. But the challenge is that we want to encourage our kids. Great motives. We want to help them. We want to encourage them. We want to build their self-esteem. And I was thinking more about this this morning when I was going over the sermon again early. And I think part of where we are today is because we saw the uh, abuse of competition one of my favorite sports is college basketball. And I can still remember from several decades ago the scene that was played over and over again of Bobby Knight, one of the great coaches of college basketball, throwing folding chairs across the floor because his players had not done it right. And we've seen the abuse of competition and the damage it can do to kids. 
But now we've swung the pendulum the other way to where it would somehow damage a child to criticize their play or to say that they didn't do a good job. We feel that it is our task to only speak positive things into their life. The problem with that is our kids know we're not telling the truth. And this is the final sermon in a series of sermons about Proverbs for parents. Lessons that Solomon taught us in the book of Proverbs about life that our kids probably aren't going to learn anywhere else. They're probably not going to get it today out of our culture or our schools. So it's up to us as parents that we need to pass those along. And the problem is when we tell our kids they've done great because we don't want to give them any criticism, down inside, they know they haven't. They know they just messed up. They did the very thing they know they're not supposed to do. And we need to help them. But to do that, we have to deal with what I would like to say is we hate criticism. Um, we don't like to receive it. We really want to hear good job. And in often today, it's like if you can't tell me good job, then just please don't tell me anything. Um, the problem is if we hear criticism too, too often, we read into that that you don't like me. If you give me criticism, what you're saying to me somehow is that I'm not a good person. And so not only do we not want to get criticism, we're also reluctant to give criticism. I would suspect every one of us in this room at some point, probably just this week, saw somebody doing something wrong, making a mistake, where we could have helped them with some criticism, but we wouldn't want to say anything, would we? Because that's not okay today. We would be seen as we don't care. We would be offensive in being critical of somebody. Somehow I'd be saying, I'm, I'm not supporting you, and the only way to show you I care about you is to give you positive words of encouragement. Well, as we've seen repeatedly in this sermon series, Solomon has a different perspective. And I'd like to challenge us to rethink our view of criticism today because Solomon will challenge us to rethink our view of criticism for ourselves and, yes, even for how we respond to our children. Because Solomon challenges us to see that the person who truly cares about me the person who truly cares about you and wants you to be the best, whatever, fill in the blank, the best you can be, part of that per, what that person is going to do is be honest. If they're truly for us, they're going to be honest if we're doing something wrong, if we're playing wrong, if we're handling it wrong, if we're saying things wrong, if we're coming across wrong. If they really care, they're going to be honest with us about that because they want us to be the best possible. And rather than resenting that criticism, we need to realize they're trying to help us and we need to be willing to listen to them. In Proverbs 12, 1, 
Solomon says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Solomon's pretty blunt. And he's, I think there's a double meaning to that second sentence. Whoever hates correction is stupid. They're stupid for hating correction. And if they hate correction, they're going to stay stupid. Because they're not learning, because they don't want to accept and receive what they can learn from correction. But I think we need to clarify something in that first sentence, because Solomon is often misunderstood today. As moderns read uh, Proverbs, especially about parenting, because often today we have come to define discipline as some kind of punishment of, of beating somebody. And that, of course, we respond to that today and say, well, you shouldn't do that. But that's really not the concept Solomon is using there. Discipline, as Solomon uses it, is the concept that we believe in all the time. If somebody is going to be a, a good athlete and play at the top of their game, what do they need? They need discipline. They need discipline in training. They need discipline in practice. They need discipline as they play to always remain focused, not let emotion carry them away. So they are there when they need to be in their heads in the game. They need discipline. But it's not just athletes. We use it in, the, in, in military. You have to have discipline in how you carry out your mission, how you do your tasks. You know what is the right way to do it, and you need to do it that way. It needs discipline. We use that in the arts, whether that's dance or singing or playing an instrument. It's discipline to be focused and to be challenged and to be corrected. All of that is that process of discipline. And what Solomon says is if we want to become wise, and remember from the first sermon, Solomon always challenges us, we can be wise or we can be fools. It's our choice. And how we respond to life. And one of the things he says here, if we want to be wise, then we have to welcome that process of discipline. Where people push us, where people challenge us, where people correct us. That's all a part of discipline. And I suspect a lot of you would have the same story I have. And that is some of the people who taught me the most, whether that was teachers and professors or coaches or people teaching me other skills, they were the people who didn't bend. They were the people who at times were in your face and they challenged. But you knew it was because they were pushing you to a higher level to get it right, to do it right. And that's all a part of discipline. And Solomon says, if we want to become wise, that's what we have to welcome. Chapter 12, over in verse 15. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Notice what he's applying in the first one. The way of fools seems right to them. In other words, don't tell me what to do. I got it all figured out. Don't critique me. Don't correct me. I want to do it my way. I got it all figured out. Solomon says, yeah, that's how a fool acts. What does a wise person do? They're willing to listen to advice. That person who says, wait a minute. 
wait a minute, are you sure you want to do that? I think you want to rethink that. The fool says, no, I want to do it my way. The wise person says, oh, really? How come? What do you think? And they're open and they listen to that advice. One more. 13.8. Whoever disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame. But whoever heeds correction is honored. How are we going to respond when people offer us criticism? You see, wise people, Solomon would say, wise people realize that the critic may actually be our best friend. Now, I don't mean the critic in the sense of the person who just wants to tear us down and enjoys making other people look small so they can look better. That's not what Solomon's talking about. What Solomon's talking about is the person who cares enough to say, I want to help you and therefore I'm going to be honest. I'm going to say, you know, I think there's a better way to play third base. I know you've played before, but the way you're standing and in the position you're in, you're just missing a lot of the balls that come through. There's a better position for you. If you'll scoot over 10 feet, you're going to get a lot more of the balls. And the wise person doesn't walk away with a chip on their shoulder. Well, who does he think he is? <laughs> Not that Nemus would ever do that. But the wise person would sit there and say, you know, I think he's right. I need to scoot over. And we go out and do that, and we will be that better ball player because we were open to that correction. So one of the questions that I want you to ask yourself today is, how do you view your critics? Do you view them as someone who actually might be a friend? Or do you avoid them? Have you fallen into the trap of our culture today that says, I only want to be around the people who pat me on the back and say, great job? Even though down inside we know we messed up? Are you, are you tempted to label those people, well, they must not be for me? Because they pointed out what I did wrong. We're all pulled that way, aren't we? And we know. We know who's just going to pat us on the back and say, good job. And we're pulled to want to be around those people, aren't we? Because it feels good. But we don't learn a lot, do we? Versus pushing ourselves to spend some time with that person that we know is probably going to push us a little bit. And might even question, say, well, I, we need to talk about that. I'm not so sure. I, preaching? You know, I've been here long enough. There's some folks, I know what they're going to say at the door because they're always encouraging me. And it does feel good. But I also know some folks, and I know the subjects, if I just go a little bit here or I say this, there's going to be some folks who will be, Jim, you sure? And honestly, it's those folks who keep me a better preacher because they will challenge, they'll question, and they help me be better. How do you see the critic around you? Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We talked a lot about that in the second sermon. We didn't talk a lot about the second phrase. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
We look down at that one who corrects us, who teaches us, who challenges us. The truth is we all need guidance in life. I learned this this week. I, I love it. I want to share it with you. Proverbs eleven fourteen. For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. Victory is won by those who are willing to listen to advisors. It's not always my way. All my ideas aren't the best. I want to hear input. And I want to learn and I want to listen. But the word I learned, what it really meant was that guidance. In Hebrew, the word Solomon uses there, in Hebrew, the word for guidance that Solomon used is actually a nautical term. Ron, who did the communion meditations, a sailor. The word for guidance is a nautical term from the rigging of the ship. The rigging that controlled the sails, the ropes that controlled the sails and the rudders so that it it, um, controlled the direction and the speed. That was the rigging, that was the guidance. And what Solomon has learned is we need guidance for life. And we're going to get that from advisors listening to other people. They will help us in the direction of our life. And they will help us in the speed of our life. If we're going too fast, if we're going too slow, if we're veering off course, listening and being open to other people, even if they disagree with us and challenge us, they're the ones who actually give the guidance we need in our lives. Now Solomon says, you know, this isn't just about people. It also applies to God. That God does this with us. Over in 3, 11 and 12. This is what Solomon writes. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. And do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. God cares about us. He cares about us so much that he's willing to discipline us. He's even willing to rebuke us, to correct us. That doesn't mean he does it because he enjoys hurting our feelings or he enjoys seeing us sort of, oh, deflated. He doesn't enjoy that. That's not what Solomon says. What Solomon says is God cares about us so much and he wants us to be the people he created us to be, the people he knows we can be. But he also knows that for us to become that kind of person, we need that discipline. We need that voice that at times will challenge us, at times will urge us to work harder, try again, go further, do more. And yes, that voice that will even correct us. Say, that's not going to work. That's not how you do it. That's not how you play the game. You're making a mistake. And God is willing to correct us because he cares so much. At times, we fail to see that with God, don't we? 
We just get impatient with God. We get frustrated with God because he doesn't fix a problem right away. He doesn't give us the blessing we want right when we ask for it. And we wonder, God, what are you doing? How come? But I would urge you to add another question when you're frustrated with God. God, is there some discipline you're giving me here? Not punishment, discipline. Is there something you're trying to get me to see? Is there something you need me to change? Am I off course and I need some guidance? Am I sailing too fast and I need to slow down? Or am I sailing too slow and you're trying to speed me up? Guidance. God, are you trying to help me because you care? And I think sometimes we've missed some of the greatest help God is trying to give us because we see it as just frustration. He's not doing what we want on our terms in our time. And he's not because he's trying to teach us something. And we need to be open to that. I'd like to give you a, a new perspective on criticism. This is the last proverb. Chapter 25, verse 12. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is the rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. That's a pretty big challenge, isn't it? That we would come to realize that that rebuke of that wise judge is like fine jewelry, highly valuable. But a wise ear gets it. Thank you. Thank you for helping me see what I was doing wrong. Thank you for pushing me. Thank you for challenging me. Thank you for being honest. You don't play third base with your finger in the dirt. You got to stand up. You got to pay attention. Get your ball glove ready. Have your knees bent. Get ready to move to the left or the right. That's how you do it. And the wise ear says, thank you. So this week... I want to challenge you both ways. One, how will you respond to criticism? Will you be open to hear that it might be your best friend being honest? And will you be honest? Not to be that complaining critic, we've talked about that, but that friend who really cares and because they really care, will you be honest and say, can we talk about what just happened? Have you ever thought about there might be a better way to say that? There might be a better way to do that and help somebody else become all they can be. Solomon says that's how we avoid being fools and that's how we become wise. And we need to help our kids become wise. Let's pray. Father, again, I thank you for Solomon and his wisdom and his honesty and for his truth that's in Scripture that's not always fitting with our culture today and what people think is good. Help us understand Solomon is so much wiser and to listen to him and to follow his advice that we might become wise 
and not be fools. And help our kids to be wise and not grow up to be fools. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.